The pastor's message this morning is entitled, Two Analogies of Redemptive History, and the scripture references Romans chapter 11, 16 through 24. For if the first fruit be holy, then the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partook of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God, of them which fell, severity, but toward thee, goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if thou were cut off from the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, we humble ourselves before you now, but we pray also for your humbling of us. That in light of the redemption, the purposes that you have in history, you would teach us what is our rightful place before you. We are a nation given to idolizing ourselves. We are a people that love to gaze at ourselves in the mirror and reflect on our perceived greatness and find purpose in our own selves. And we've never been more anxious. We've never been so lost as we are internally now. And I ask then for mercy to humble us so that in light of who you are, we would be established that we would be courageous, that we would not be anxious for everything, but that we would be strong, established, and always ready to boast only in the Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Regarding the mercy of God and his will to bestow it, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and following, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is something that we need to consider always. Our God cannot be confined, the true God cannot be confined to the that's not the way I do it scenario when it comes to any of his purposes. 
If it's the prerogative for women to change their minds and theologians to make distinctions, it's the prerogative of the preacher to try to define scriptural themes. And often Romans 11 is spoken of as God's word regarding Israel, and that is true in part. In fact, Romans 11 has much to say also regarding the Gentiles, what we'll see today. But what this chapter says of God's saving purposes, primarily for Israel, but also for the Gentiles, ultimately gives way to what we are learning about God himself. Therefore, how God is faithful to his works and as he works in redemptive history is the theme of chapters 9 through 11 in Romans. And the very nature of what we've been learning about God's eternal purposes is perplexing, is it not? Anybody would have guessed that God would have worked this way in history to save his people from their sins? Just one truth in all of Scripture destroys every conceivable notion that we could have in ourselves, in our wisdom, in our ideas and thoughts, the mind of God, and that is the Incarnation. If you think you could have contrived that the Son of God would have become man in order to save man from our sin by dying for us on the cross, then you have the mind of God. And nobody, nobody understood that was God's plan. Even though it was revealed in part in the Old Testament in many places, Peter says, if you would have known what God was doing, you would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And yet we see it also in the way that God is working through 2,000 years of history and the unbelief of a people called the Gentiles, that in their unbelief, 2,000 years, 2,500 years since Abraham, God would bring those people to himself and at the same time, cut off a people that we all expected would be the recipients of the salvation that we receive, Israel. But astonishingly, astonishingly, it's the apostles' hope, as we learned last week, and implied teaching already that God will once again bring back a full number of Israel into his fold and all we can say about this already is behold our God. Again, chapters 9 through 11 is about God and his workings in redemptive history. Today we begin in verse 16 where we read of two redemptive analogies. Verse 16 says, If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. Now, the first analogy comes from the table, from a reference from Numbers 15, 21, which says, Some of the first of your dough you shall give to the Lord as a contribution throughout your generations. And here he calls, the apostle says, If the dough offered as first fruits, offered as up to a sacrifice for God, is holy, and the word there is hagios. And it means consecrated, separated for 
the Lord's use for the worship of of the Lord. It is set apart. And therefore, by virtue of the dough being offered unto the Lord in that sacrifice, it makes the whole lump that the dough was derived from holy. And so the small part there makes the larger part holy is the analogy. But the next analogy takes, Paul takes from a tree, and it's a, it's a reverse analogy, sort of. He says, if the root is holy, hagios, the same word, so are the branches. Now, there's seven, several ways, there might be seven ways, actually, in, in the which these two analogies are interpretive. But I believe it's important first that we understand that these are parallel analogies. Although the parts are different, so the, the, the part of the dough, which is the smaller part, is offered unto the Lord, is smaller than the lump, that conforms with the root, which is obviously the larger part of the tree, and the branches conform to the lump, the larger part of the dough. But these are parallel analogies. The dough relates to the root of the tree and the lump relates to the branches. And, and so I think it's helpful if since they're parallel analogies and since Paul goes on to expressly teach on the tree analogy that we understand what it means, the dough and the lump means, by the root and the branch, which follows. So we're going to move from that, those two analogies into the second point, which is redemptive history as an olive tree verses 17 through 24. And I think this will teach us what verse 16 is saying. The olive tree is a symbol both of Israel and Jeremiah 11:16, and an important, well-known tree to the region of the world of Palestine and the Mediterranean, even to this day. First, we learn in these verses that these analogies are general depictions, that word is important, general depictions of an abiding and a gracious standing, probably covenantal, covenantal in nature. Verse 17 says, But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, Let's stop there. You, he says, and of course we know back in verse 13 of chapter 11, that you, he's speaking explicitly to you Gentiles. The Gentiles in this church at Rome and to us today, of course. But if some of the branches were broken off, he says, and this relates back to the branches that were made holy because they abide in the root. In verse 16, these branches are not holy. They were broken off. And this is contrasted with the you. So the broken off branches are contrasted with us, the Gentiles. Most of us here are Gentiles, I believe, in our ancestry. Although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others, now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. The breaking off of some of the branches and the ingrafting of the Gentiles describes by analogy what Paul has already taught us. Back in verse 11, he says, So I asked, did they stumble, that is Israel, stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. There's a purpose in God that's greater than just their condemnation, just their fall, and this is the first. Rather, through their, speaking generally of Israel, through Israel's trespass, salvation has come 
to the Gentiles. And that is the analogy here in the tree of the wild olive branch being grafted into this nourishing root. Now it's plain by the context that Paul is saying that Israel, generally speaking, as we look at the mass of Israel and we consider them in general, they have been broken off from the tree and are therefore no longer holy, no longer set apart for God's covenantal or outside of, they are outside of God's covenantal purpose. I especially believe that as we think of covenant here, we need to be thinking about a covenant of grace given to Abraham, given to Isaac, reiterated to Isaac and to Jacob, and is fulfilled in the new covenant in Jesus Christ. They are outside of that covenant. While we, Gentile believers in general, of course, this is why I keep saying in general, because he's saying Gentiles, and we know all Gentiles are not in this root. Do we know that? We know that he's speaking generally to Gentile believers, which is the mass of the believing Christian church, God's people. Now, and these are the branches that have been grafted into the root and therefore evidently belong to God through what we know as the new covenant, which was ratified in the blood of Christ. And I have three observations from this analogy, and we'll go down as we work through this through the rest of these verses. We're not going to get through everything in these nine verses this morning, but I hope to relay one particular truth at the end of it. First, the holy nourishing and supporting root. Look at what that is. Verse 16, 17, and 18. Verse 16, if the root is holy, so are the branches. 17, the nourishing root of the olive tree. 18, the root supports you. The root is where the benefits come to the branches. The spiritual, gracious, covenantal benefits come. Now, the root has been described in various ways as well. It's been described as the people of Israel in general. It's been described as Christ. It's been described as the patriarchs. And while I believe that the spiritual root of salvation for all of God's people for all time is Christ alone, I believe that Paul means to draw our attention especially to the patriarchs here when he speaks of this particular root in this context. Listen, he calls the tree a cultivated olive tree. And I believe this is a reference to what God has done to make it a useful olive tree. Just a little background about Paul's usage of cultivated and wild olive tree and the, the natural use and then the unnatural grafting of the wild olive tree. There's a lot of debate. There's one uh, scholar who says, see, it just shows you how ignorant Paul was. He doesn't know what he's talking about. This, so if you know anything about cultivation of trees, I just grafted a tree recently, a mango tree, and it actually took. But you graft a good fruit-bearing tree into what is otherwise an unknown or even probably a poor rootstock. So we took from the rootstock of one of these trees out here, a mango tree. It's a common mango tree, which produced not great mangoes for the most part. You can use them for pickling and various things. But it does great as a rootstock because it's very resistant to all... Anyway, I'm getting into this too far. 
Anyway, you graft the kind of fruit you want onto that so it produces the good fruit that you want to eat and you want to use for the most part. And Paul's analogy is that this cultivated God's gracious influence on the patriarchs, his covenant of grace to them, is the cultivating of them for the way that the benefits of his mercy fall out to the world, as we'll see, right? And so what happens in this analogy that Paul is teaching about this wild olive tree that God has cultivated, or this cultivated tree, is that surprisingly, at some point after it's grown up, God is cutting off the natural branches which should produce fruit, evidently that don't produce fruit, but that's beyond the analogy. And then in their place, he grafts wild olive branches. And so one scholar says, see, Paul doesn't understand how cultivation works. You don't put a wild olive tree into a cultivated olive tree. But I think that's to miss the point, isn't it? Paul is drawing in the first place a spiritual analogy. And it's this, if you can get anything from what I am going to teach you, what Paul is going to teach us, it's this, is the Gentiles, by all rights, should not be in this tree. (laughs) As far as our wisdom goes, as far as what we deserve, as far as what we could expect when we read the Old Testament in large part, it is shocking that you and I are grafted into this tree. Indeed, it's humbling. That's the whole point today. It's humbling. It's unnatural, he says. It's grace. Now others say, in fact, there have been some scholars that have done far deeper research into the cultivating processes of those days, and they said, In those days, they used to take wild branches and they would graft them into a cultivated tree that was not producing for some reason so as to kind of spurn the tree into producing again. The tree goes into some sort of shock. We do that to trees here. Uh, uh, Zach has has a cultivated lychee tree. And as those grow up, sometimes they cease bearing fruits here. And so people actually choke them. They put steel cables around them and they'll choke them to shock them. So that's nothing new in cultivated practices. So one scholar has said that. But I think the point mainly is that we see that our place here in this tree is shocking. It's humbling. It's unnatural. It's what we wouldn't have expected. It's God being God and us going, wow, you're God and we are not. All right, I don't know where I'm at. That was all extra. So it's a cultivated olive tree. And this references God's grace and its properties, the natural branches, Israel. So what I'm saying is that this cultivated olive tree, this root, regards patriarchs, the natural branches, must reference those who have grown up in that gracious influence, that gracious word of God that came to Israel, the promises that came through the patriarchs, and stand in that by grace, believing in those promises. Those are the natural branches that even remain. There are some that remain in this analogy. Therefore, I take the root to mean the patriarchs here. As they were established 
in Christ as the root of the covenant people of God. Of course, by grace. Romans 15.8 says this, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, listen, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. That's why I said that the patriarchs themselves were established by Christ. As the promises were first graciously established in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, we could go back to chapter 9, verses 7 through 13, to see that is the case. So it's best, I believe, to see that this root regards the patriarchs in this analogy. Second observation is this. The natural branches, branches were broken off, verses 17, 21, and 24. But if some of the branches were broken off, verse 21, for if God did not spare the natural branches... Verse 24, again, he references the natural branches. And all of these references regards Israel and their unbelieving condition. They are the natural branches insofar as they were by nature connected to the root. And this is what Paul has already spoken of in chapter 9, 4, and 5. They are Israelites. And to them belong the adoption. Listen to all these spiritual and temporal blessings that God gave to them as a people. They are Israelites. To them belong the adoption. By the way, Paul was one of them who loved them dearly. The glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And all of these benefits were real and should have led every one of those people to understand the gracious influence of God upon them. But in verses 6 through 8, we realize for not all who are descended from that beneficial, privileged people, Israel, belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. That means that it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise. Therefore, the pruned or the natural branches referred to this privileged people who yet do not believe, who failed to attain the righteousness of God that they sought because they did not pursue it by faith. Chapter 9, 31. Chapter 11, verse 7. And this then is the relationship to the context of chapter 11, verse 7 through 15, where Israel is said to have been hardened They are spiritually senseless, and they've stumbled under a burden of unbelief. And these are natural branches that have been cut off from the root. They have no part in the promises given to the patriarchs. They have no part in the promises that they would inherit the inheritance of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They have no standing in grace. They will receive none of the promises and have no part in the covenants. They are not the people of God in the same sense as the root. And even the Gentiles, who were by nature part of an olive tree and who God has engrafted into that root. Why? Why are they cut off? Because they have no part in the faith of their father Abraham. 
And that's what we'll see today. That's what we've already seen in chapter 4. But remember, Jesus said in John chapter 8, Abraham longed to see my day. He rejoiced in it. Abraham's faith in the promises of God were as such that they were believing the promises that were fulfilled in the coming of God's Son. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. But we saw last week, even God has merciful purposes in this. And that's our third observation, the engrafting of wild olive shoots, Gentile salvation. Verses 17 and 24, he says, the wild olive shoot in verse 17, and this was cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree. The wild olive tree was a useless tree for the most part. It wasn't usually dependable for any good thing in the production of olives, which had a great use and still does to this day. In redemptive history, Gentiles can be contrasted with the cultivated tree of God's grace, that is Israel, so as to be known by nature as branches or shoots from a useless tree when it comes to how we relate to God and his redemptive purposes. Ephesians 2, the apostle says it this way, verse 11, Remember therefore that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh... He makes that distinction, same distinction that Paul is making here, of the wild olive tree. You Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, that was a derogatory term, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. This is what we need to remember about ourselves. Remember that you were at a time separated from Messiah, the Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel where the blessings of God flowed and strangers to the covenant of promise, covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's the condition of a wild olive tree in Romans 11. Now this was our condition for 2,500 years in general in the scriptures, in the history of redemption. Let's not overlook the fact that Paul has argued and will argue, though, that the Gentiles in grafting is part of God's ultimate plan to redeem his people, to save his people. All the way back when we go back to Genesis chapter 12, the first promise God gave to Abraham is, I will make of you a blessing for all the earth. All the nations of the earth will be blessed in you. In Romans 15, 8 through 12, we already read verse 8, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Listen, and in order that the Gentiles might glory, glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people with his people, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, that is, Christ will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and in him will the Gentiles hope. And here's how Paul puts it in the analogy in verse 17. And you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted 
in among the others, among the others, among those who were the natural branches who were standing in the grace of God and believed the promises. We were grafted into the same root. We belong to the same tree as them and now share in the nourishing root of the cultivated olive tree. And so here we are, called in Romans, in Galatians chapter 3, Romans 4, Romans 9, explicitly we are called children of Abraham. We are children of Abraham in the same sense as every one of the redeemed people in the Old Testament that we read are, are in that same tree. We are children of Abraham in the same sense as Sarah, yes, his wife, who it says in chapter 9, was a child of promise. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Ruth, Elijah, this is your inheritance. When you look back at them, you look back at Daniel, you look back at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you look at them and when we read about their faithfulness and we read about their place in God's redemptive history, we are reading examples and people that relate to us. That's why we read the Old Testament. It's for us to know how to live godly lives in Christ Jesus now and how to know what not to do. It's for us to look up at the hall of faith, as it were, in Hebrews chapter 11 and see those lives and see the lives of faith that those men and women lived out and say that's how we ought to live in this world. Those are our, that's our spiritual heritage. We belong into that tree. We are in that tree. Romans 4, 11 and 12, speaking of Abraham, says he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. That's so important for what Paul is arguing for in our text. While he was still uncircumcised. So while he was a Gentile, he received the sign of circumcision that he had by faith. He was already determined. It was already God's judicial decree. He was justified before Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness before he was circumcised. He was, as it were, you and I, in his standing before God. What was God's purpose in it? The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. That's Gentiles. Abraham's the father of them. Because we have the same faith as Abraham. So that righteousness would be counted to us as well. This is what we Trust that as we believe and trust only in Christ, God the righteous judge understands that Christ died for our sins and so our sins were imputed to him and as we're trusting in Christ, Christ's righteousness is then imputed to us and we belong in the family of Abraham because we have the same faith in the promises of God fulfilled in Christ. And so he's our father, but not just our father. Verse 12, and to make him the father of the circumcised. But then he delineates who of the circumcised. Here's Israel, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith of Abraham. So Abraham is the father of, as it's said oftentimes, those who are the faithful. Those who are trusting in Christ. And notice what this means as Paul 
continues back in Ephesians chapter 2. We saw what we were. We were without hope because we were without God in our natural condition as Gentiles 2,500 years. That was the condition of the Gentile people. But in Christ, everything changes. Chapter 2, 19 and 20 of Ephesians. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. I believe that means God's word there. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone who Israel has stumbled over in large part, in the majority part. We've seen that in Isaiah chapter, in, in Romans. We've seen that in First Peter Chapter 3, 6 of Ephesians says this then, again about the Gentiles. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body. You could say the same root. It's the same tree. It's the same analogy. And partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now Paul is making clear distinctions between Israel and Gentiles for a very clear purpose Nevertheless, once we find ourselves in that tree, in that membership, in that body, in that temple, in all of the analogies of the ways that God talks about the one family of God, children of Israel, and all these spiritual analogies, we realize what Galatians says explicitly, for as many of you are baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Listen to this. This world does not know how to make equal standing amongst divisions that are real. Real divisions. It cannot do it. To find in this world how to draw equality from men and women, they don't know how to do that. To find in this world how to draw equality from people groups and races, cultures, we don't know how to do that. <coughs> Here we're learning the way that is done, the way that unity comes from diversity is through Christ. True unity comes to the human race through God giving us a new Adam and bringing us back into conformity with Him through Jesus Christ alone. And all the divisions and all the distinctions when we are in Christ give way to our union with Christ. And of course, that doesn't mean that earthly speaking or part of God's creative purposes, that means that I'm no longer a man. What it means that when God sees us and what, how we relate to God redemptively, it means that there is no greater standing for me than women, than you if you're from a different nation, than you than if you're from a different father or heritage. In Christ, we all receive the inheritance of Abraham, the inheritance that is God himself. I am your reward, your shield. Your reward shall be very great. <clears throat> 
So, what is the response? And here's everything that I believe Paul is arguing for in this text. I believe it comes down to this. What is our response to this truth? Our re- look at what's happened. Unbelieving Israel, for the large part, since Christ has come, when we think of Israel, we think they have not received their Messiah. And the vast majority of God's people are made up of Gentiles to this very day. And we'll talk about more because Paul has more to say, even in this context. Next week, we'll talk about God's purpose is to graft back in those branches who we cut off. But what do we think as Gentiles about ourselves? You know, the history of the Christian church is very poor when it comes to our reaction at this point. The Gentiles have not always listened to Paul. We have become proud at times. We have responded to say that now the grace of God is upon us and has no place for Israel. And we've become proud because of it. Can you imagine what we've just read? Did it say anywhere in this text that you Gentiles had enough in you, enough power, enough gumption, enough wisdom, enough might to graft yourself into the tree? To take yourself from that wild olive tree and to cut yourself off and say, hey, that's a better life. I want what they have and graft ourselves back in. Is that the analogy that he's drawn? Listen to what he says, and we're going to go through the rest. I'm going to read it and just kind of comment briefly, and then we're finished. Romans 11, 18, 22. What is Paul's purpose in all of this? And here it is. In a nutshell, it's humility on our part and praise to God. Do not be arrogant toward the branches, that is the cut off branches. You see them in unbelief? Gentile believers, don't be arrogant toward them. If you are, that is if you are arrogant, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root who supports you. They were by nature coming up into that root. You have no place in it by nature but the root supports you, then you will say branches were broken off so that I may be grafted in. This might be the boast in ourselves. Listen, God broke them off so that we could be grafted in. Listen, that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. And listen to this, and I've been arguing for this since chapter 3. Faith is by nature a boast not in ourself, but in God. How do we stand in this root? By faith. If you ever start to boast in yourself, or we start to say, look at me, I'm in, the brand, I'm in this root, and that Jewish neighbor is not. Look how great I am. Then you contradict what faith is. Faith is contradictory to that pride. That's exactly what he's saying here. So do not become proud is the next thing he says, but fear. Fear of the Lord will keep us, recognizing that our standing is in grace, is by grace. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity in this Greek word is the same word, or it's a similar word that comes 
or that we see in relationship to the term cut off. So it relates to his cutting the natural branches off. The severity, he severs them. The severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you. What state does that put us in? Provided you continue in his kindness, you persevere in the faith, otherwise you too will be cut off. If you don't abide in the vine, you'll be cut off. You'll be useless. And that's a demonstration that you do not have faith. You see, faith and pride are contradictory. And even if they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. Verse 24. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? And we'll look more about that next week. 1 Corinthians 4.7 says very tersely, very clearly, For who says sees anything different in you? What do you have that you have not received? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? We boast just about in anything these days. We're taught, we are raised in a culture of boasting. One of the the ways I do not want our kids to boast in themselves is to say, I grew here, you flew here. I know it's funny. It's a funny thing. They didn't have any choice to grow here. (laughs) Why would they boast in that? Why would we boast in the things we have no control over, is what Paul is saying. You grew here, thank the Lord you grew here. Thank God you grew here. But what he's saying here is if you are in this root, if you've received anything, if you are anything that can expect any good, it is because it was given to you by God. Boast in the Lord. This flies in the face of everything this world tells us. Boast in the Lord. Romans 3.27, he's already argued, and I think this is exactly his argument here. What then becomes of boasting? If salvation and since salvation and justification is by faith in Christ alone because of his work, his death, his resurrection, the gospel, what then becomes of our boasting or our glorying? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No. By the law of faith. Faith contradicts any boasting in ourselves. This is Paul's purpose. In the history of redemption, that everybody who has a place in this gracious root boasts only in God that we're there. Let's pray. Father. I pray that you would receive the glory and the praise and the honor and the worship of every one of your saints, whether they be wild olive trees, branches grafted in shoots, or whether they be of the natural root. We know our standing is by grace alone, through faith 
alone, in Christ alone. And so we boast only in you. Father, this church has been proclaiming this gospel for 55 years. And we do not boast in ourselves that that has happened. Churches fall away every day in this world. Multitudes of gospel-preaching churches in England and in France, Germany, the Netherlands, Belgium, in Europe have fallen away. Multitudes have fallen away in the mainland. Even on this island, churches that used to send missionaries over the mountains to preach the gospel now have a carnival for a church service, say nothing of Christ, and are there only in traditional forms, preaching every sort of moralism, spirit of the age, and giving no glory to you. Some of the richest history, some of the most beautiful churches on this island have nothing but a sounding gong every week going off at their pulpits. Be merciful to us so that we would not stumble in pride, so that we can continue to preach Christ and him crucified and glory only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ knowing that we are sinners and we avail nothing of ourselves before you, but boast only in the Lord. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen.